You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thank you for joining us on this Thanksgiving Sunday. One family has a lot to be thankful for this weekend. A mother and her young son who narrowly escaped a heart-stopping crash on the Ironworkers Bridge on Friday. You may have seen the images of that massive metal beam that went flying into oncoming traffic right through the windshield of a Squamish women's sedan. Tonight, she's telling her remarkable story of survival. Here's Kristen Robinson. This is actually the same shirt I was wearing in the accident and I just noticed today, you know, I've got this little hole from the beam. Susan Milne is still wearing the scars of what hit her as she drove her young son across the Ironworkers Bridge Friday. I heard a noise, uh, like a, some kind of loud noise and I saw like something coming, flying object, this steel beam, which I later discovered coming in my general direction and uh, everything just happened so fast. A massive metal beam flew onto the bridge deck after Vancouver police say a northbound truck lost part of its load. The steel bar bounced into oncoming traffic and impaled the windshield of Milne's Mercedes. The steering wheel had been damaged. My windshield was completely shattered and I saw this beam just right through my window to my shoulder right beside me. And, um, and yeah, it was very shocking. The impact narrowly missed her and her four-and-a-half-year-old son, who was sleeping in a car seat on the rear passenger side. I just told him, you know, everything's okay, and I, there was just glass everywhere. Milne managed to crawl out of her car on the passenger side as other drivers stopped to help before firefighters and Vancouver police arrived. There's still a lot of adrenaline and shock. Um, but, of course, I'm incredibly thankful. Um, it's, the alternative is just not even something I can really think about. Although traumatized, Milne and her family are especially grateful this Thanksgiving. It's a miracle that I'm alive and, it, and it's a miracle that no one else was hurt. I, I did have my moment when I had a shower to get the glass shards off my body where, of course, I, I cried and um, I just thank God and my angels for looking out for me and protecting me and my son and Kristen Robinson, Global News. An amazing story and detectives from the BPD's collision investigative unit are working to identify the truck driver still who continued on to the North Shore after the crash. Police believe the driver likely actually had no idea what happened. They're also asking witnesses or anyone with dash cam footage who was on the Ironworkers Bridge just before 2 o'clock on Friday afternoon to come forward. There are more alarming signs this long weekend of the dangerous drought conditions and the rising wildfire risk across the province. One week after a wildfire was sparked at a park in Coquitlam, another fire is growing tonight in the Cowichan Valley on Vancouver Island. As Travis Prasad explains, fire crews are once again on high alert and on the ground in this second week of October. Smoke fills the sky as a chopper tries dousing the flames of the Cowichan River wildfire. It's grown to four hectares and is classified as out of control. We did have some access challenges earlier on with this fire. It was discovered on Saturday in the Cowichan Valley, burning in dense brush about 10 kilometers west of Duncan. We have... 16 firefighters are working round the clock, setting up a containment line. 
Officials say they are making good progress. The fire behavior on that fire is at rank one, two. So what that means is it's a surface fire with some visible flame, but a fairly low rate of spread. Early indications are the late season wildfire was human caused, just like the Minicata High Knoll fire that sparked in Coquitlam on October 1st. It's now under control, but steep terrain is making it hard for crews to finish the job. They are working diligently throughout the day and night to um, suppress these uh, hot spots, and we're hoping to move um, this fire um, classification from under control to out in the coming days. The popular Minicata Park remains closed to the public. A reopening plan could be determined later this week. The safety of, of the public is paramount, so we do not want to open up the park uh, prematurely. Rainfall would undoubtedly speed up firefighting efforts, but there hasn't been much of it. The South Coast and Vancouver Island are still experiencing level 4 and 5 drought conditions. Tinder dry forests and parks means the risk of new fires is high, despite being well into October. It's definitely a different year this year. We haven't had what we would call season-ending rain, a season-ending rain event this year um, yet, which is it's somewhat unusual. And with no significant showers in the forecast, crews can only hope their efforts are enough. Travis Prasad, Global News. And BC wildfire crews are also busy responding to a spot fire near Grand Forks this evening. That fire is estimated to be just over 150 hectares in size. Photos shared to social media show a large plume of smoke coming from the blaze that is burning off Highway 3 between Grand Forks and Christina Lake. No structures are threatened by the blaze at this point. The cause of this fire is under investigation. Not helping matters is the wind, of course, which is expected to pick up considerably over the next 24 hours. Our senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with more on the special weather statement issued for the province on Monday. Christy, how strong are those wind gusts expected to be? Well, they're going to be below wind warning criteria, thankfully, Sarah, but we are still going to be very concerned. The reason is, is that any winds right now with drought stricken trees that we have right across the region could be um, impacted uh, by these winds, even if they're not wind warning criteria. So here's a look. They'll pick up tomorrow morning. We could see wind gusts coming from the southwest at 40 to 60 kilometers an hour. That's ahead of the cold front that will swing across around the noon hour tomorrow and bring gusty winds in behind a cold front, we tend to get the strongest winds. These are northwest winds, 50 gusting to 70 kilometers an hour, and it's those winds that tend to come down the Strait of Georgia and right up against sort of the Stanley Park area. We'll be watching that closely. We're definitely concerned because the trees just don't have the moisture to potentially withstand this type of wind, so we'll be watching it closely. For our region, once again, strongest winds likely in the afternoon, evening hours. Sarah, back to you. Okay, Christy, thank you. We'll see you in a few minutes. In the Okanagan, police are investigating a deadly overnight stabbing in Kelowna, the end of an altercation that started outside a popular restaurant. As Victoria Famia reports, investigators are now looking for witnesses. This popular area in downtown Kelowna was the scene of a fatal stabbing after an overnight brawl turned deadly. Just before 1 a.m. Sunday, police responded here to the 1300 block of Water Street for a report of a violent incident involving a group of people. On their way to the scene, police were told one person was stabbed during a fight. And when they arrived, they found one man lying on the grass bleeding, while another man was attempting life-saving measures. When BC Ambulance arrived, they took over in an attempt to save the victim's life, but were unsuccessful, and the 32-year-old man succumbed to his injuries and was pronounced dead at the scene. 
Water Street was closed until just after 9 a.m. while officers continued their investigation. The area was taped off and a black police tent could be seen on the grass just outside of Cactus Club. The fire department assisted in what looked like cleaning up the crime scene. Kelowna RCMP Serious Crime Unit has taken over the investigation, which is still in its early stages. Police have yet to specify how many people were involved or if any were taken into custody. They are asking for any witnesses or anyone who has footage of the area to contact Kelowna RCMP. Victoria Femia, Global News, Kelowna. A one-time resident of Vancouver's Cram Park encampment has been charged with spousal assault. We sit together and we help each other out, right? We got the, you know, insulated tarps and we tough it out. Clint Randon spoke with Global News in January after the B.C. Supreme Court rejected the park board's injunction request to clear out a portion of the park and prevent people from sheltering there in the daytime. The 47-year-old has since been accused of spousal assault in connection with an alleged incident in Burnaby in August. Randon is due in court on that charge later this month. In Coquitlam, a man wanted in connection to a bizarre arson incident has now been arrested. On Friday morning, fire broke out at a home near Durant Drive and Johnson Street. RCMP say two females inside the house were able to escape, but one of them was seriously injured. An alert was issued for a 57-year-old suspect, and following up on a tip, he was arrested at a home in Port Coquitlam this weekend without incident. Police say they are still investigating the circumstances of the incident, including the suspect's alleged involvement before recommending charges to Crown Council. The search for a missing Ontario woman in the Nicola Valley has come to a tragic end this weekend. This morning, police confirmed the body of 22-year-old Jacqueline McDermott was found on Saturday. An extensive search had been launched by both land and air after she disappeared on September 30th. McDermott had attended a meditation retreat near Merritt. Her abandoned vehicle was later found on Highway 97C between Merritt and Logan Lake. RCMP say they are still investigating what happened, but at this point, there appears to be no criminality involved. The BC Coroner's Service has also now been called in. It's no secret that many people park overnight at Vancouver's Spanish Bank, sometimes for weeks or even months on end. Now, those living in RVs and campers have been given notices to leave by the end of the weekend or risk being towed. Grace Key reports. You can't get a better view out of your RV than Spanish Banks. Patricia Voiten and her boyfriend are from Germany. They're temporarily calling this parking lot home as they look for work and a place to stay. I have been looking at places a little bit, but it, I saw it's really expensive, so we're probably not doing that. We might stay in an RV. A couple of dozen campers and RVs were parked at Spanish Banks Sunday morning, some newer than others. A few, like Patricia, are passing through. Others are here permanently, unable to find affordable housing. Some have been told they must vacate the area by Tuesday or risk being towed because overnight parking is prohibited. A statement from Vancouver Park Board reads in part, Parking enforcement staff and rangers have been monitoring the situation and educating vehicle occupants on parking bylaw regulations. For people who are experiencing houselessness and are in need of support, the City of Vancouver and Park Board staff work to connect them with our city outreach team who can connect these individuals with support services. Patricia and her boyfriend have been traveling through Canada for the past seven months. She's finding there aren't many rentals out there and what they are seeing is expensive. It seems really expensive to me. Even if we both find a job, it probably takes most of the money away for the rent. So yeah, we have to find another alternative. Some here say they'll just be moving along to another parking lot. Grace Key, Global News. 
A Prince George food bank is seeing the direct impact of soaring inflation this Thanksgiving weekend, and they're dipping into their own funds in order to buy groceries to give away. Staff at the Prince George Salvation Army Food Bank have seen the need balloon by 40% compared to pre-pandemic levels, combined with a near-total freeze on public donations because of the pandemic and inflation. They're finding those who have been regularly donating for years now are keeping a closer watch on their finances, meaning they're donating less, and that means fewer resources end up on food bank shelves. Our, our economy these days is not what it used to be previous to COVID, and so people are just not able to give on the same level that they were before. Um, and yet the increase in the guest base or people who are coming in to use the food bank has gone up. So it's definitely a disconnect between what we're able to receive, what people are able to give, and um, what we're able to provide to people. For now, the food bank is trying to manage the shortfall with volunteers picking up food items from grocery stores. Well, they can't be described as low, but some gas prices on the lower mainland are a bit lower today. You may have noticed the price of the pump dropping down by 10 cents per liter in some spots around Metro Vancouver. Some stations along Hastings in Vancouver were at 227.9 cents a liter, and it drops the further east you go as usual. Energy analysts say more supply is coming into the refinery in nearby Ferndale, Washington, alleviating some of the supply crunch, which caused the initial spike in prices to about 240 a liter. Ouch. The world of jiu-jitsu is as intimidating as it comes, so you can only imagine how tough and resilient one BC competitor is when that brutal sport is not the biggest hill he's had to conquer, not even close. Carmel Komali has the story. This isn't just an ordinary fight. It's something never seen here before, not just at this BC Jiu-Jitsu tournament, but across the province. Leo Samarelli paralyzed from the waist down, competing against able-bodied fighters and holding his own. They never seen anything that, like that, or they, even, they never even thought that it was possible. It was his dream for years, but it was only this past summer Samarelli met the person who would help get him there. So I put my hook in. His coach, Migo Ward-Yasin. I, would, I wouldn't say it was, dif I was difficult, it was challenging. I didn't need to be creative. But Samarelli's story goes back even further. A boxer on his way to turning pro in 2017, he was shot four times. Police called it a case of mistaken identity. But he pushed on. Without the use of his legs, he climbed the grouse grind on his hands and started a not-for-profit allowing boxers with disabilities to compete. Now creating new strategies to compete against able-bodied fighters. But what are you looking at Again, right here? I can... I'm going to be looking for this. Okay, so you're, you're looking Either for an arm. For an arm, I'm going to be looking for a leg. I'm okay. going to be looking for a double leg. And, or if you're even in there, reaching in there. And depending how, I'm going to be even going out for here. Okay, so you're here looking here. to pull me into you. His first tournament handed him two losses, but still considered a success. I felt I made like a difference. And, um, and that I think is the most, uh, that's the biggest victory I came away from that day. The crowd inspired giving Leo a standing ovation. We all got emotional. Uh, I'm still getting choked right now thinking about it. Now the next step to notch a historic win. It's rare to find some guys out there like, like me that out there, but there are people out there. In hopes more fighters with disabilities find the courage to roll onto the mat. Kamal Karamali, Global News.
The suspect in a Vancouver bank robbery that ended in a standoff a few days ago is spending the long weekend in jail. 34-year-old Stefan Tasik is charged with robbery in connection with Thursday's heist at a bank near Main and East Pender Streets. Police say the suspect tried to flee in a cab, which was stopped by officers near Main and National Avenue. The driver and a second passenger were able to get out, but Tasik allegedly barricaded himself inside that taxi for nearly two hours and refused to communicate with police. He was eventually tasered and arrested by ERT members. Tasik will remain in custody for a bail hearing on Tuesday. And a charge has been stayed against the suspect accused of vandalizing a VPD building this past spring. New glass was recently installed at the Vancouver Police Building on East Cordova Street after its window was broken back in April. Police say a man just released from jail walked across the street and smashed the glass. Mischief and commercial break and enters with broken glass in the downtown core are up 64% since 2019, according to the VPD. 34-year-old Benjamin David Blundell was arrested and charged with mischief. In July, that charge was stayed by the Crown. As we reported on the news hour last night, the interim chair of Hockey Canada, Andrea Skinner, has resigned. Just two months after taking the job and four days after she testified in front of a House of Commons committee examining Hockey Canada's handling of sexual abuse allegations. As David Aiken reports, critics say Skinner's resignation should be just the first step in a complete overhaul of the organization's leadership. As the first example that came to mind. On Tuesday before a parliamentary committee, Andrea Skinner was speaking up for Hockey Canada. I can assure this committee and I can assure the members of the Canadian public that change is happening. She defended the practice of using non-disclosure agreements to deal with allegations of sexual abuse. We decided to resolve the matter in a way that was um, trauma-centered, victim-centered or complainant-centered. And she argued Hockey Canada's CEO and senior managers should not be replaced. There is a significant risk to the organization if all of the board resigns and all of senior leadership is no longer there. I think that will be very impactful in a negative way to our boys and girls who are playing hockey. Will the lights stay on on the rink? I don't know. But to many, Skinner's comments, to stick with management, only made things worse. I hope that they understand the message and leave before they burn it to the ground. Two days later, Skinner at least got that message. Upon reflection, she said, it is clear to me from recent events that it no longer makes sense for me to continue. So Hockey Canada is now seeking a new chair and seeking new members for its board of directors, new leaders that it says must be, quote, committed to a cultural evolution for the organization. Nomination forms are at hockeycanada.ca. The deadline to apply is October 28th. David Aiken, Global News, Ottawa. To another sign now of the growing discontent in Iran against the country's authoritarian regime. State TV there was hacked late Saturday by a group calling out the country's supreme leader. A news bulletin was interrupted by an anonymous-like mask that you just saw, followed by an image of the Supreme Leader with flames around him and a target on his head. It also included photos of four women killed in recent protests. There have been mass protests in cities across Iran and around the world this weekend, including here in Canada.
That includes a few dozen passionate protesters gathered in Toronto this afternoon in solidarity with those in Iran calling for greater freedoms. This is the fourth week of worldwide demonstrations that follow the death of Masa Amini in Iranian police custody. She was arrested September 13th for wearing what was deemed to be inappropriate attire and died in custody three days later. A fresh plea tonight for those who can to give the gift of life this Thanksgiving long weekend. Canadian Blood Services are reminding those eligible and able to please donate blood platelets and plasma this holiday weekend. There are open appointments at donor center locations on the South Coast, including on Thanksgiving Monday tomorrow at the Oak Street location in Vancouver. In Victoria as well, we have a number of open appointments, over 160 open appointments in the Lower Mainland. We also have around the same amount, about 160 to fill this weekend um, as well. We have more appointments open uh, later next week as well. So um, probably the easiest way for your listeners to go in uh, um, to go to blood.ca or download the app. Um, our Victoria Donation Centre, which is open uh, six days a week, as well as our Oak Street Centre is open. And then we do have uh, some mobile events also happening in the Lower Mainland. Cancer patients, accident victims, and people with rare, life-threatening, chronic and genetic conditions rely on blood, platelets, and plasma donations every day. Welcome back, and welcome back to Christy Gordon with a full look at our forecast. Christy. Thanks so much, Sarah. Well, as you well know, it has been gorgeous lately. The first part of our long weekend, pretty sensational, and we broke records again today. We've broken records every day this month except for the fourth. 16 of them today. Here's some preliminary numbers just showing you. 25.5 degrees in Port Alberni today, Agassiz 24-7, Chilliwack 24-6, and Comox 18-3. Just some of them. Again, 16 of them broken today. But the big news story now is the wind gust. So the trees are so incredibly dry. We we are definitely concerned about them performing um uh, far worse in these uh, types of conditions. These are not wind warning criteria. This is just a special weather statement, but we could see wind gusts from 50 to 70 kilometers an hour as this cold front pushes through and especially in behind. So that's through the afternoon and evening hours. Here's a quick look at the winds coming down the Strait of Georgia. We get the strongest winds on the outer coast uh, for Metro Vancouver in this scenario. And again, we could see wind, those wind gusts up to 70 kilometers an hour. So be prepared for power outages right now because we definitely Definitely are expecting them as we head into tomorrow. Now, in terms of moisture, unfortunately, this uh, cold front will not bring much at all. We will see it along the north and central coast, barely any for southern and uh, southern BC and the interior regions. We're talking about less than a millimeter of rain. So, although we'll see more cloud tomorrow and we have a chance of showers, it's not going to be a washout by any means, and it's certainly not going to impact the forest fire danger rating and the drought levels that we have. There is a risk of thunderstorms from Vale down through Revelstoke and over towards Gale, uh, Golden. But overall, it's a very small chance of showers for our region. Mostly what I think you'll see is that that cloud cover, cooler conditions will feel differently. And certainly you'll see the gusty winds or feel the, those winds. And behind it, though, we're right back into sunshine. And it looks like we're going to see that sunshine right through next weekend as well. So far, our long-range forecasts show there is a chance of showers and a possible change in this overall pattern come the following week, Sarah. So we're still a good week off in terms of moisture okay we could use that rain for sure hopefully tomorrow thank you so much mm -hmm. christine
Well, over the past couple of years, countless people have been forced to deal with sudden changes in their lives, most of those changes out of their control. A laid-off marketing executive responded to her challenges by teaming up with her mom to launch a sweet new venture, even if her new business partner needed some convincing. Here's Jay Durant with This Is BC. Kelly Chow never thought her work office would end up being a food truck, but she suddenly had to switch gears after losing her marketing job two years ago. And then that all kind of blew up in my face, essentially, yeah. Brownies became the backup plan, but to do that, she had to convince her mom, Lily, who's an excellent baker, to come out of retirement. Mm, I don't think so. Maybe, maybe not. Years ago, Lily had tried her hand at the brownie game, but her store in Yaletown closed down after just a year. I don't want to repeat the same mistake again. And then she said, well, I'm here, I'm all grown up, I can handle all the marketing stuff. After a persuasive pitch and the lure of some brand new kitchen equipment, Lily was all in and the brownie bakers was born. But spending so much time together has its challenges. We butt heads every day. <laughs> She's kind of like, a, you know, young people. They just like, a, oh, YOLO, you know, that kind of stuff, right? But YOLO is not working for me. Why do you take this and you don't put it back? I'm always picking up after you. Or, or like, how come you don't clean this up? You know, just usual mom stuff. But this has proven to be a very successful partnership. Constantly booked for farmers markets, the movie industry, weddings, and corporate events. Surprise? Uh... A little bit, yeah. Vindication for Lily that her brownie recipe is amazing. Yeah, it tastes really good. And gratification for Kelly who turned things around with a little family help. Lots of people like love, like would love to have the opportunity to work with their mom or family member and uh, I'm lucky enough to say I can do that. Jay Durant, Global News. And if you know about a great BC story that others also need to know about, email your ideas to thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Those brownies look really good, Barry DeLay. Good to see you as well. It'd go for one cold glass of milk. <laughs> that sounds Spot. pretty good yeah. right about now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Whitecaps coming up, I believe, tonight. Yes, going the on? final day of the MLS season, decision day, they call it. Mm. The Whitecaps uh, pretty much had a simple... A task at hand, win and they're in the playoffs, a draw or a loss and they're out. So we'll have the highlights, tell you how they did in Minnesota. And the Seahawks were in the Big Easy in New Orleans, taking on the Saints. High scoring, back and forth, entertaining game. Highlights of that too when we come back. Okay, looking forward to that in just a few minutes. Thanks so much, Barry. Across the country, roughly 21 people are dying every day due to toxic drugs and overdoses. And for years, B.C. has been the epicenter of that crisis. Now statistics show there's a disturbing new trend. Overdoses from smoked drugs are on the rise as well. Nitu Garcha explains the new challenges that poses for advocates wanting to help and what's being done to inspire change. It's one of Vancouver's oldest neighborhoods where tragically some of the newest innovations in B.C.'s response to the overdose epidemic are born. You're using it in the alley or they're using it in the back alley. Drug policy advisor Karen Ward says she sees firsthand the need for more adaptation to the trend seen over the last six years towards smoking. They're vaping off foil. They're using, they're, they're, they're vaporizing the, um, the substance and inhaling the smoke. And the downtown east side is at the epicenter of the epidemic. We should be obviously mandating um, safer smoking rooms in, um, in, 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 like in public buildings. 
While there are multiple supervised injection sites, there's only one safe inhalation site in this area. And some, like this Indigenous outreach worker, say that's not enough. I've actually seen people smoking just outside the safe injection sites, you know, trying, doing their best to, to be safe as possible. When they're injecting, the infections will come. I think that's where the trend started, where they started smoking. The latest figures from the BC Coroner Service show smoking is the most used mode of consumption leading to toxic drug deaths across BC. In some regions, these inhaled doses cause a vast majority of the fatalities, such as 74% of overdose deaths in the province's northern interior last year. They've been slower to open inhalation sites because in those cold climates, they have just they, the necessity to have ventilation, safety for workers is compounded by the climate. BC's Minister of Mental Health and Addiction says they're constantly looking for new approaches, especially as the country's first jurisdiction to decriminalize drug use and permitting the prescription of safe supply. This hasn't been done before, you know, and, and, so, and so we're learning as we go. We're funding every health authority to stand inhalation, uh, supervised consumption sites up. And honestly, we just have got our heads down every day on designing new ways to tackle this crisis. All right, all right, love you. Be safe. James Harry Sr. says for his people who were disproportionately affected by the crisis, a culturally appropriate response is critical. Knowing that they got a little taste of home, just a little taste, right? And that, that goes a long way. As many of those on the front lines continue to be relied upon to inform the next steps in the evolving response. Neetu Garcia, Global News, Vancouver. Welcome back. Barry DeLay is back with mm -hmm. sports highlights and Whitecaps highlights. Yeah, well, I think mm -hmm. this is what, you know, pro athletes, anyone in sports looks forward to. Winner take all, the pressure's on. Absolutely. How will you come through in the crunch? Ooh. Let's see how they did. Thanks, Sarah. The uh, Whitecaps had a simple task today in Minnesota, win, and they are in the MLS playoffs after being left for dead a few weeks ago when it looked virtually impossible to get in. They'd had a great run of late, three straight wins. Minnesota, their opponent today, has gone the other way, five losses and just a draw in their last six. Who would move forward to the playoffs on the last day of the MLS regular season? The Whitecaps, as good as they've been lately, just two road wins all year out of 16. Faced a sellout crowd in Minnesota. Vancouver came out strong, though at the first good chance. Julian Gressel gets all of it, but a solid save by Dane St. Clair, who is a Canadian from the Toronto area, still scoreless. But then in the 17th, Andres Kubas has problems keeping control of the ball, goes down, and on the turnover, the loons make him pay. Franco Fragapane from the top of the box drills it past Thomas Hassal. Perfect shot. And the Whitecaps are down 1-0. They have to win, remember. Later in the half, another offensive chance. Ryan Gold takes the pass from Brian White, fires wide. Now, it looked like White was fouled in the box. That should be a penalty, but no penalty given. And the Caps head to the breakdown 1-0. Second half, Vancouver really wanting an early goal to get some momentum. Came close here as Brian White rattles it off the crossbar, but the flag was up for offside anyway, so it would not have counted. At the other end, a fortunate bounce for Minnesota right onto the foot of Jonathan Gonzalez who will uh, beat Hassal and that pretty much seals the deal. 2-0 Minnesota. Vancouver needs three to win the game. Ryan Gold trying at least to salvage a goal. Hits the free kick beautifully but another great save by Dane St. Clair. And unfortunately the Whitecaps 
are roadkill again. Just two road wins this year. That was their downfall. They lose the game 2-0 and their season is over as they fall short of the playoffs. I just spoke with the guys. There's, of course, a lot of disappointment. There's a lot of uh, sadness. There's a lot of heaviness in the locker room. But I told them that uh, if we didn't make it, it's not for today. The bad, the bad start and, and everything. And I think that the guys played well. So that's the thing. I, don't, I didn't see a team that was scared or with fear or overwhelmed by the pressure. I don't think you can look at the game and say that we deserve to win, which is, which is frustrating. Um, not that we necessarily had a really bad game, just uh, I don't think we we quite done enough to win. Well, you certainly cannot fault Geno Smith and the offense for today's loss in New Orleans. Time and time again, they put points on the board, but the Seahawks' defense just could not make any stops. They did not have an answer for the Saints' Swiss Army knife, Taysom Hill, who torched them for four touchdowns in a 39-32 Saints victory. Geno Smith and the Hawks offense ranked 13th out of the 32 teams, and they came out firing. Smith throwing on the run. He's pretty good at that. Floats one in perfectly to DK Metcalf, who does the rest. Bowls his way in for the touchdown, a 50-yard catch and run. Got to get the ball in that guy's hands as much as possible. And the Seahawks... Had the lead 7-3, but Taysom Hill was a problem. He spelled off starter Andy Dalton on certain plays, and you know he's going to run. The Seahawks know it, but he still scores easily. Second rush touchdown of the game for Hill. It's 17-10, but just before half, Seahawks, another big play. Geno Smith airing it out for Tyler Lockett, who catches in stride for the touchdown. Boy, Geno had some good throws today. That's a 36-yarder, 19-17 Seattle at the half. Early third. Seahawks running back Rashad Penny gang tackled and it's a severe ankle injury. More tough luck for Penny who was having a great year. He could be gone for the season. Meanwhile more from Taysom Hill. This time he actually throws it. 22 yard strike to Adam Troutman. 31-19 after three. But Seattle answers. Geno Smith hooking up with Tyler Lockett one more time. Another brilliant throw. A 40 yard touchdown strike. It's 31-25 and then later in the fourth it's the rookie Kenneth Walker in for the injured Rashad Penny takes the handoff breaks through the first wave and it's open to the end zone a 69 yard touchdown for the Seahawks second round pick this past year and they have the lead 32 31 but it wasn't nearly enough a lead for the defense who could not stop Taysom Hill third and short Hill picks his way through and then clear sailing a 60 yard gallop for the touchdown is third on the ground to go along with the touchdown pass Seahawks defense getting ventilated again as Seattle falls 39 32 in New Orleans their record drops to two and three let's check out how the rest of the NFC did Rams and Cowboys from LA Cowboys defense was dominant this afternoon they get to Matt Stafford forced the fumble Demarcus Lawrence with the scoop and score 19 yards for the touchdown Cowboys jump out six nothing Cowboys quarterback Cooper Rush only threw for 102 yards but it doesn't matter when the team rushes for 163 Tony Pollard with a 57 yard touchdown the Cowboys are 4-0 under Cooper Rush since Dak Prescott was hurt in week one 22-12 the final they're 4-1 the Rams 2-3. Arizona Cardinals at home to the 4-0 Philadelphia Eagles. Philly led 14-0 at one point, but the Cardinals come back. Eno Benjamin with the 11-yard touchdown run ties it up 17-17. 
Eagles got a field goal to take the lead, but Matt Amendola had a chance to send this game into overtime. 43-yarder is up and no good, and the Eagles stay perfect. Seahawks like that. Cardinals fall 2017. Arizona, like the Rams and Seahawks, are all 2-3. and three. 49ers on the road against the Carolina Panthers. Jimmy Garoppolo on the opening drive of the game with the short pass to Tevin Coleman, who does the rest, gets in the end zone for the touchdown. Niners take it in and lead 7-0. Jimmy G was looking good. He will fire to Debo Samuel for another touchdown. And San Francisco, an impressive win, 37-15 over the Panthers. And the 49ers now lead the NFC West at 3-2. Bills and Steelers from Buffalo, and this was another awesome display of talent from Josh Allen. This was a sign of things to come. Allen from his own end zone to Gabe Davis. The long bomb lands. It's a 98-yard touchdown pass, longest in Bills franchise history, and Buffalo led 7-0, and there was plenty more to come. Their offense literally could not be stopped with Allen at the helm. He will find Davis one more time. This isn't a 98-yarder, but it's 62. What a play by Davis to one-hand it and then wrestle it away for the touchdown. 17-3 Buffalo. Allen, four touchdown passes, over 300 yards in the first half alone. The fourth TD to the rookie Khalil Shakir, his first NFL touchdown. Bills crush the Steelers 38-3, and they're now 4-1. Some uh, British football now. English Premiership. Big showdown between Arsenal and Liverpool. Late first half tied at one. The Gunners will retake the lead. Bukayo Saka will finish it off. 2-1 Arsenal led at the half. But Liverpool equalized in the second half. Beautiful through bowl from uh, Diogo Jota. Roberto Firmino with the beautiful finish. And it's two goals apiece. But Arsenal... Awarded a penalty, and it's Saka who will smash home his second in the match, and Arsenal win 3-2. They jump back over Man City into first place. Liverpool struggling way back in 10th. So it could be a title decider. 53 laps to come. It's lights out, and away we go. Overnight, the Formula 1 Japanese Grand Prix was uh, indeed a title decider, a wet one at that. Max Verstappen needing a clean start. Drag racing with Charles Leclerc heading to the first turn. Verstappen gets the lead. He wanted to be ahead of the pack because of all the splash. Really poor visibility. Carlos Sainz losing control in the rain. Here's the view from Pierre Gasly's car. He too suffered damage on the opening lap. And not surprisingly, because of the danger, the red flag came out and... They can't stop the race for a while, but they did finally restart right around 1 a.m. this morning. And Max Verstappen, when they did get going, left everyone in the dust, even though there was no dust on the track. One by 27 seconds, clinches the Drivers' Championship with four races still to go. Only Michael Schumacher and Sebastian Vettel have accomplished that dominating feat. Final round of the Shriners Children's Open from Las Vegas. Adam Hadwin of Abbotsford had an ace on the par 3 14th Saturday. Today... Had to settle for just a birdie, sinks the 17-footer. Adam finished tied for 10th, won $210,000, which may or may not last that long in Vegas. But a good weekend for him. Adam Spenson of Surrey was tied 69th. Tom Kim and Patrick Cantley tied playing the 18th, but Cantley drove it into the bushes. There's his ball. He decided to play it from there instead of taking a penalty drop, and he paid the price because on this swing, it didn't get through, and he ended up making... A triple bogey seven, so Tom Kim has an easy tap-in par for the win. The 20-year-old was a star at the President's Cup, wins his second PGA Tour event in two months. The first since Tiger Woods to win two events before his 21st birthday takes the Shriners in Vegas by three over Patrick Cantley. 
and just one wild card series left in the majors. Mets and Padres in the deciding game three from New York, and it's been all pods so far. Austin Nola with the bases loaded, base hit in the second, drives in two, and San Diego leads the Mets right now 4-0 in the eighth. The winner of this game gets the Dodgers in the next round. The Mariners and Astros begin their series on Tuesday in Houston. For film buffs, this long weekend is all about celebrating the iconic movie Rambo. Forty years ago this month, the movie was released, and as Julie Nolan reports, thousands are flocking to the B.C. town where the flick was famously filmed. Tanks, camouflage, and the signature bandanas, it can only be the 40th anniversary of a movie made right here in Hope. Oh, it's a blast, yeah. Not every day you get to see a tank crush cars on the main street. <laughs> of course, this weekend is all about Rambo's first blood. Super fans of the action flick coming from all over the globe to be here. 10 out of 10. It's one of my favorites. Stephen Hasketh, a 17-year-old from Birmingham, was able to nab the title of Best Rambo Lookalike. I came from England because I'm a really big fan of the uh, Rambo series, especially First Bloods. So yeah, th that's why I, I had to come for the 40th anniversary. Jam-packed full of Rambo stuff. Oh, I didn't know where to look. There were so many great costumes. You don't seem to want to accept the fact that you're dealing with an expert in guerrilla warfare. For people who worked on the film, like one actor who played a minor antagonist, the movie comes with fond memories. The very first day of shooting happened to be my 30th birthday. And it was a big movie for me and a big role with a lot of lines. And so that was, that was memorable. This is a big deal. It's a big deal to have a movie like this that people are still talking about 40 years afterwards. The fake guns and military fatigues will be put away Monday with the festival wrapping up then. Julie Nolan, Global News. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. <laughs> and Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.